Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast, March 26, 446 p.m. On today's episode, we're going to dive into the draft again, this time talking about the top four offensive tackles, Makai Becton, Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Wills, and Tristan Wirfs. Those are the guys that are highly regarded as the big four. And should the Jets be in play to get one of those guys at 11, we're going to break down each of the players' strengths, weaknesses, basically their backgrounds at their respective colleges. Olivia Landis talked to the mad backer, Bart Scott, so we'll hear from her and Bart in a little bit. But EA, another day, another pod here in Jets world. What's going on? The greens, uh, sun is out. Uh, I think we've probably hit, what, the midway point of free agency? Uh, you know, we always talk about tiers. You know, there's the first tier, the second tier, multiple waves and things like that. The Jets are still going to have to add a number of players um, along the way here before the draft. But it, it is draft season because we're less than a month away until April 23rd and the three-night day uh, extravaganza begins in, in a very unique format this year. We'll have to see how that all plays out. But uh, Jets sitting there at number 11 in the first round, four picks in the top 79 overall. I know you are pumped for the draft greens, as is everybody in Jets Nation. Yeah, I love the draft. And, with, you know, without further ado, let's just dive into it. We're going to go alphabetically in regard to the core four, the big four. So up first is the big man. That's Makai Becton out of Louisville. And not only is he a big ugly, he's probably the biggest ugly. 6'7", 364 pounds. And, oh, at the combine, he ran the 40 in five point one seconds you know Dane Brugler of the athletic always says you look for traits in a guy and the draft is highly you, you profile guys in a number of ways but you think of a guy's traits maybe sometimes overproduction and Makai Becton was productive for the Louisville Cardinals but oh my god you think about these guys traits they're off the floor yeah, uh, Green's a monstrous man 6'7", 364 I'll tell you what I'm a little bit under 5'10". I'm not even going to give out my weight, but I, I can't run 40 and 5'1". Uh, <laughs> what this guy and what many of these prospects can do, it's just, it, it is amazing. There's no other word for it. And isn't there the great video of uh, Becton donking? You know, this is a guy who can get it up and throw it down, right? Yeah, uh Former Louisville head coach Bobby Petrino said that he knew he wanted to offer Becton a scholarship when he saw him doing reverse dunks in high school. And of course now, I mean, we I'm just going to say his height and weight again, 6'7", 364 pounds. I mean, don't be deceived by his height and weight. He's a premier athlete and he's nasty as a finisher. He likes to punish people. Well, and that's the thing. You keep on mentioning his weight and I think it's fair because – where do teams envision him playing at not only which side because he is a tackle who started out at the started out on the right side for Louisville but then he started shifting over right as his college career went on 10 starts at left tackle as a sophomore and then 11 more at left tackle as a junior garnering first team all ACC honors but that weight, uh, you know, it's going to be very interested. I'm going to be very interested to see 
uh, how teams project him at because when I hear 364, a lot of times I'm thinking, oh, God, maybe he'd be better suited for the right side, but he played both in college. Most recently, he played the left side, and 6'7 means he's awfully long. Um, I think he... A lot of the draft pundits, including they aforementioned Dane Brugler, would say, hey, maybe a little bit raw. Maybe he's got to get more refined. But, wow, what a ceiling when you're talking about Becton. Yeah, I feel like Becton definitely has the biggest ceiling. And uh, he, he's like a, a crazy athlete. And obviously we'll talk about all four of these guys. But in terms of Becton, something that you know will get New York fans a little excited is that at the Combine – Somebody asked him, what do you think about New York? And I, I don't remember if the reporter was Jets or Giants, but he said, I love New York. I love the griminess that New York uh, basically is represented by. And I think that if he's there at 11, he'd be an intriguing option for the Jets along with the other three of these guys. And just plugging along here, quickly moving through these guys, now let's head talk about Andrew Thomas. And I said alphabetical, so it's kind of funny going from – B to T, but the other two tackles, Jedrick Wills and Tristan Wirfs are W guys, so we're going to T. And Andrew Thomas is somebody that started on the right side in his collegiate career at Georgia when Isaiah Wynn, former first-round pick of the New England Patriots, was on the left side. And then once Wynn got drafted, Thomas has been the guy at left tackle for two seasons for Georgia, and his strength, according to a bunch of pundits, really come in the run game, and he's another guy that's just nasty on the ground. Yeah, started 13 games at left tackle last season, Greens, and uh, first-team Associated Press All-American, and of course, first-team All-Conference guy, too, in 2019. You would figure he's going to come in and be a day-one starter, but we talked about this before here on the pod, that it's funny how things have changed in a matter of months, because, because prior to this season, a lot of pundits, a lot of prognosticators are Talk, we're talking in terms of Andrew Thomas is going to be the top tackle overall selected. But I feel like these other guys have been so impressive with their workouts and their combine showing that maybe he's gone under the radar. He's long too, Greens, six foot five, um, 36 inch arms. Um, you know, he probably gets overshadowed because what other guys did at the combine meaning Becton, Wills, and Wirfs. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And Andrew Thomas, I said this earlier on another episode, it's almost like he's been under the microscope for longer than any of the rest of the prospects at offensive tackle in regard to the top guys. So it's almost like you forget that he's a good player because he's been analyzed for so long. But you look at his 40-yard dash, I mean, he's 315, and he ran the 40 in five point two seconds this is a guy to your point is probably a plug and play kind of guy and what you like about both Becton and Thomas is that they've played both left tackle and right tackle so in terms of the Jets you know we don't know where or how the front office envisions somebody like George Fant where he's supposed to play or where they project him to play or Chuma Adoga but the good news about the two guys we've talked about so far, they play both sides of the line. And in terms of Thomas, I just want to say this. You talked about you almost forget about that he's a good player. Well, he was the first Bulldog to win the Jacobs Blocking Trophy in 21 years, which is awarded to the top lineman in the SEC as voted on by the coaches. And this is a conference 
that had the Joe Moore Award in the LSU Tigers offensive line, which is voted the best O-line in the country. So Andrew Thomas is clearly a very good player. This guy, Andrew Thomas, is considered very good in the run game, and he's he's got a Mauler mentality. And the one thing I would like to mention about the Jets is you mentioned uh, media outlets having George Fant agreeing to terms with the Jets and his versatility. We talked about that at length here on the podcast. Brandon Shell, former Jet tackle, reportedly agreeing to terms with Seattle, as did Brent Qualley um, agree to terms with the Houston Texans. So Shell was your opening day right tackle in 2019, and Qualley was slated before he got injured to be your swing tackle. So uh, moving parts, moving pieces here. And remember, Kelvin Beecham remains an unrestricted free agent as of taping right now. All right. So on the other side of Olivia's interview with Bart, EA and I will break down Jedrick Wills and Tristan Worth. But right now, let's see what Olivia and Bart had to say. The dynamic duo is officially back. Olivia Landis here, and on today's podcast, I am joined by Bart Scott. Bart, how are you doing? Long time no talk. I'm good. Can't complain. Can't complain at all. All yeah. is well. How's been? How has the at home treatment been for you? Um, it's been good. Um, just trying to make the best out of it, right? So you're sitting home, and what you're doing is you're doing things that you normally wouldn't do because you don't have the ability to drive around, go do things. So spending a lot of time with the kids, being able to read books, uh, watch, you know, been watch Netflix all day, you know, spend time with the kids and really cook every day. You know, that's, yeah. that's the big, that's a big thing. You're cooking three meals a day. That's something, you know, I haven't been a part of since I was a kid with my mom or my grandmother, you really? know, making sure that it was no McDonald's. Yeah. McDonald's was only on Friday when I was growing up. Yeah, I mean, when yeah. we was watching, when we was watching family matters, when Erkel was coming on, mom comes home with the McDonald's on Friday. That was our only junk food day. I love that. So you've been, you tell me that you've been cooking? Cooking every day. Yep. Let's see. Today, let's see. Yesterday, what did I cook? Yesterday, I kind of, you know, I cooked two roasted chickens the day before, but then, you know, afterwards, you just have, you you just have the the spare chicken. So what you do is you take all the spare meat off, you put it in there, you take the grease from it, you make a gravy and you make chicken and rice, you know, with the gravy and make some biscuits. So it's like biscuits with like shredded chicken and rice and did that. Then I made some tenderloins the day before. Then we had turkey tacos the day before that. Okay, Bart. You know, so, I see so, you. Today, I'm not gonna today. lie. I'm not gonna lie. I um I didn't know you had it in you. Yeah, yeah. So today, yeah, today's menu. Yeah, today's menu is going to be uh, cabbage and and uh, and corned beef. I love corned beef. Yeah, man, I'm impressed. All right, cool. So better see some of these cooking schools when the season starts and we get back into doing our next gen stats segment. You're gonna have to bring some food so we can test it. Absolutely. All right, let's dive a little bit into Jets free agency. I know you've been following the Jets, obviously, throughout this entire offseason. It's been an uncharacteristic, very out-of-the-ordinary offseason. We know that. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times the teams have not been able to make official announcements yet because of the coronavirus and the restrictions of travel. However, we do know that multiple NFL analysts around the league have reported a lot of stuff that Joe Douglas – and the Jets have been doing in free agency to rebuild this roster. We mentioned it right before we came on the podcast. You said that he seems to have added quite a few former Ravens players. What have been some of your initial reactions to some of those additions on the squad? Well, just the fact that he's bringing guys that he understands that are important for culture. Um, I didn't, 
you know, Joe Douglas for the first time in free agency and just recent free agencies, not trying to win the back pages. And it's not pretty, but these are very quality football players that are going to add a lot of depth. You have enough, you know, splashy players, right? You have you have the yeah. Jamal, you have Mosley, you have Bell, you have Darnold. And, and, and so you have enough of those type of players. Now you need quality guys. You need glue guys. You need guys that you can count on. You need guys with versatility. And that's what he's been trying to do. He brought in a lot of guards slash centers to be able to be swing men. I think you, they still believe yeah. in Adoga to be that right tackle, maybe even a left tackle. You know, it will be interesting to see where he decides to go in the draft. But I say, you know, you continue to, to, to you continue to um, build on that left tackle. If it's a great left, left tackle there, you solidify that because, you know, if you don't, if Sam doesn't have time, he's not going to be able to take advantage of the weapons that he's had so far. Mm-hmm. It was sad to see Robbie Anderson leave. But Robbie Anderson took a deal, I believe, that was for himself, betting on himself. He wants to be able to prove himself a little bit more with a quarterback, yeah, you know, maybe he hasn't really went over a thousand yards. So he wants to go and, and whenever you see a player take a two year deal, they're betting on themselves saying, okay, after two years, I'm going to be back up and I'm sure everybody what I can do that I am a thousand yard receiver that I can't take the next step. And it seemed like he wanted to go somewhere where he was comfortable with the head coach. You know, it's a different relationship you have with your head coach when yeah. you when you are in college. It's a different relationship with you and your college coach than you and your professional coach. And, you know, I wish Robbie uh, well, but when you look at Brashad Perriman, you know, great talent evaluators. We all give the Ravens, you know, staff and organization a lot of credit for their ability to, to see talent. And they thought Brashad Perriman was worthy of a first-round draft pick. He's a vertical receiver as well, averaging over 17.6 yards per catch last year. He's a burner. He may be faster than Robbie with some of his unofficial clock times at what four one nine and all these crazy things. He's a track star. So I think Joe, you know, was able to fill that void, but he also was able to save some money because Robbie is at the 10 million mark. Rashad is on the $8 million mark. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see more how free agency unfolds a little bit, but you mentioned culture with Joe Douglas. And I think that's something he's really emphasized throughout his entire time with the Jets so far and he's talked about how that is so important inside of a locker room being a former player yourself why is culture so critical and how large of a role does it play on a team because like like they say and remember the Titans attitude reflects yeah. leadership right so like mm-hmm. if you if you have great leadership you're going to have a great attitude and sometimes things aren't always going to be going for you in the football season. It's, you know, football season is full of peaks and valleys. But if you have high character guys, you have a great culture, you'll be able to fight your way out of it and be able to rebound. But if you don't, you're just going to have an environment that compounds problems, right? That you, you call people or, or teams that are um, they're, they're fair weather or they're, you know, they're, they're front runners. You don't want to have front runners because, you know, majority of the time things are going to go bad. And you want to have people that have a belief that when things get bad or things don't go the way you think they're going to go, they pull together. And that's all about culture. That's all about having that family environment. You know, you want to have you know, players that pull together, not pull apart and fragment inside of a locker room. Because what happens is you get clicks. We have clicks. Then you have division within a locker room. You need everybody yeah. pulling the rope in the same direction. And that's what the culture is all about. Culture is basically about leadership and togetherness and humility. Yeah. That makes uh, that makes a lot of sense, especially within a locker room, and you see the different types of personalities all coming together for that one goal. Now I want to specifically zone in on the defense. You, a former defensive player yourself, 
know how hard Greg Williams worked with his defense last year, especially when you think about the run defense. They ranked number two overall against the run last year. Now, obviously, they can use a little bit of help when it comes to um, pass defense, but you've already seen Joe Douglas take some of the steps by reports saying that he re-signed cornerback Brian Poole. What other directions do you think they need to go on the defensive side? I mean, I, I see that they brought back Jordan Jenkins, and that's a good quality pick, right? He's a solid guy, but he can't be your dominant pass rusher. You know, I look at guys out there like Marcus Golden that's still out there that can potentially be a, a, a retread. You know, of course, the elephant in the room is would you pony up the money for a guy like David Clowney if that price tag comes down? A move like that signals that you have, you know, next year has to be goal time because you can't pay a, a player $15, $20 million a year and then not expect to be winning or in the playoffs. But, you know, this division is wide open with the exit of Tom Brady. You know, you have an opportunity yeah. now to, to, to have somebody out other than the New England Patriots as penciled in as the divisional champs. So we'll see how Joe wants to, wants to go. You look at Buffalo, looks like they're all in. Miami's retooled nicely. Um, they still have a lot of draft capital. You know, but the Jets, you know, can be right there if Sam can take the next step. And that's why I said this offseason has to be all about building around Sam Darnold. We know the defense can be solid. It can be a top 10 defense with the pieces that we have. Greg Williams is just that good. You know, you know, can't do you want a elite pass rusher? Yes. You know, look at look out there, some potential moves out there as well. You know, you hear that Brandon Cooks is potentially available, you know, in, you know, in a trade that they want to move him because you know, this would be the fourth time that he's moved, but we all know that he's a quality number one receiver in this league. So it's moves to be made, and Joe Douglas, sure, he has a plan in the draft. You know, the great thing is if they decide to address the offensive side of the ball and get the left tackle with the, you know, 11th pick, it's so many quality receivers in this draft right yeah. now. You know, everybody wants to talk about, you know, last year. Well, the two best wide receivers – Last year came in the second round. When you talk about A.J. Brown and you talk about D.J. Metcalf, you know, these were guys that were picked in the second round. So that second round draft pick for the Jets and the fact that, you know, Joe Douglas was able to, to flip Leonard Williams into a, a third and a, and a fourth round draft pick if he signs with these guys is another way to move up and down the board, gives you board flexibility, gives you options. And, you know, I think the Jets would be doing well if they're able to you know, pick any of those guys. You know, Joe Douglas has a great eye for for the offensive line. We know that. But this is his first offseason. All eyes are on him. Bart, I know that you are one who lo absolutely loves defensive schemes because there have been a few times during our Next Gen Stats episodes where you've actually walked me through and explained a lot of schemes yourself. When you look at Greg Williams, what do you like specifically about his coaching style or what stands out to you most? Well, what really stood out to me most um, by just kind of breaking him down and watching him last year was just the fact that he's a teacher, right? He's a yeah. teacher. And that's the important part. You know, um, you hear when, when Joe Judge came in with the Giants, the first thing he's talking about was he wants teachers. He doesn't want to hear what somebody can't do. He wants to see what they can do. And I think that's what Greg Williams kind of figured out. You look at what he was able to do with Hewitt, look what he was able to do with Blesson, look what he was able to do with Burgess. You know, these guys were guys that struggled at first, but then by the end of the season, you can tell that they have been coached up, learned from their mistakes, and it, you know, it really helps you to be able to develop a lot of depth. You know, because in, in football, you know, 100% injury rate 
is usually what it is, right? Everybody's going to be injured yeah. or banged up at some time. But if you have guys that you can plug in and now you have confidence in them because they were able to play, now you have a guy like C.J. Mosley. If he goes down or if somebody else goes down, you feel confident that you've seen these players do it before and perform well. That's why it was great that he was able to retain them and bring some of those guys back. I think Jordan Jenkins is a great quality um, player. He makes the plays he's supposed to make. And then now that allows you to see if he can take the next step as he's on a one-year deal so guys be motivated. I like the fact that all these deals are deals that were at the top of the market, but they're also deals that they're flexible and you can get in and out of them if guys don't perform. Okay, Bart. If you could choose, when you think about all of the free agents that are out there right now, whether it be offensive or defensive, if you could choose one top free agent to come over to the Jets, who would you choose and why? Strictly opinion. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think the, I mean, the, like I said, the elephant in the room is the elephant, right? I mean, you talk about the most dominant player still left and, and available. It's, you know, it's got to be Jadavion Clowney and what he's yeah. able to bring to the team. But it's still some quality guys out there, some corners out there that I think that, that can really help the, help the uh, Jets out. But it depends on how they want to decide to build this team. But it, it has to start with the pass rusher. And when you think about the pass rusher, if they can get Marcus Golden, that's one thing. You know, Marcus Golden is somebody that that, you know, can really help them out. You know, he had 10 sacks last year. He's a quality, you know, edge rusher. He would be great to add if you can't get Jadavion Clowney. But, you know, Jadavion Clowney is the white whale that everybody wants. The the issue is where he come down and and, and gives not a discount, but will the market dictate that maybe it wasn't as robust as he thought it was. You know, because you look at guys like Beasley, you look at guys you know, like Robert Quinn, they jumped off the off the field. They dropped off the free agency fast. So, you know, maybe he'll be able to come back and maybe he'll, you know, decide to bring his, you know, his, his talents to Gotham City. All right, Bart. Well, as usual, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, giving us a little bit of input on Jets free agency. Hopefully we'll talk soon and take care in home quarantine. Uh, likewise. Many thanks to Olivia and Bart and EA. Let's just keep plugging along here with the draft. We talked about Makai Becton and Andrew Thomas. Well, next up in the alphabetical order in terms of the big four is the Alabama right tackle Jedrick Wills. And we've talked about versatility before. Well, Jedrick Wills has been a right tackle since high school, and he protected Tua's blind side at Alabama, so he clearly had a, a very big role. And Tua Tagovailoa actually called – Jedrick Wills, the alpha of the O-line, and a lot of draft pundits have Wills as their top-rated offensive lineman. Physical dude, nasty streak. Great point from you, Green, saying that, oh, he did play right tackle at Alabama, but, oh, by the way, Alabama was playing with a gifted left-handed quarterback last season. Uh, I don't know if you want to mess with it, though, because he's so good on the right side. Um, it's all a matter of footwork, steps, of releases, things like that. Uh, but this is a guy who's got a tremendous nasty streak. He plays with an edge. Um, he pretty much can do it all. Uh, solid run blocker, good pass protector, uh, great feet, good hands. He's kind of like the total package. And then, in years past, we'd always say the total package has got to be a left tackle. Well, maybe this guy's so good on the right side, and like you said, he's been playing it since high school. Maybe you just don't mess with it. Maybe he just comes in and he's somebody's right tackle. 
I think that's an interesting point. And he's six four three twelve. He ran the forty in five point zero five seconds. So the top guys that we've talked about so far, freakish athletes. We haven't even talked about Tristan Wirfs, who debatably had the best combine of any offensive lineman. But I just want to say this in terms of. I think some people out there, fans or whoever it may be, may say, well, why would you draft a right tackle that high? And I'll point to a couple people. The first guy I want to say is a former free agent of this class, Jack Conklin, who signed with the Cleveland Browns, the eighth overall pick in 2016. And then you think of somebody like Lane Johnson of the Philadelphia Eagles. He was a top 10 pick. He's plug and play on the right side, and he's debatably the top right tackle in the game right now. So to your point, why would you mess with it? It's not. I know a lot of people will say, well, left tackle is more important than right tackle. Well, you know, the way the game is shaping up, you got to be able to protect no matter what the position is. So if you think Jedrick Wills is the next Lane Johnson or you think he's going to be a top elite right tackle, I don't think you mess with it either. I think that's a very good point. Yeah, and we went through the mock draft the other day, uh, Mel Kuyper. Uh, perhaps the first real NFL draft guru, and he's still going strong. God bless him. Uh, it, you know, looking at uh, the flash points for the tackles, here are the teams that I'm paying attention to, Greens. Giants at four, Arizona Cardinals at eight, wild card maybe Jacksonville at nine, and Cleveland at ten. Do the Giants go with a tackle as early as four? Again, we talked about it the other day, Arizona – Receiver or tackle seems to make sense there. We don't, it's hard to get a read what's going on in Jacksonville right now. We know they are rebuilding, but Cleveland definitely has some work to do with the line. I would imagine the Browns, barring a move, they're going to go with one of these guys at 10 right before the Jets. That's just my hunch right now. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And it'll be interesting to see if maybe Joe Douglas and the front office potentially want to leapfrog a team like the Cleveland Browns if one of these guys is on the board, depending on how everything shakes out between now and then. But let's wrap things up by talking about Tristan Wirfs. And Wirfs absolutely blew the doors off of Lucas Oil Stadium. He's 6'5", 320. He ran the 40-yard dash in 4.85 seconds, a broad jump of 121 inches. I mean, this guy, you know, he, you, you knew he was part of the big four, but it almost kind of felt like he was maybe the, the odd one out. And after his workout in Indianapolis, he might be the first guy taken. First true freshman to start for Iowa under head coach Kirk Ferentz. That's saying something, considering how long Ferentz has been there. The other thing to take into account is Iowa runs a pro-style offense. He has played both sides just like a few, a couple of these guys that we talked about today. Uh, but last year, Green's more on the right than the left, huh? Ten, ten starts at right tackle, three at left tackle. Um, listen, state champion high school wrestler, a guy who was tremendous in track and field as well, uh, gifted athlete. It's funny. You speak about the combine. I was at his podium session, and people were asking him, hey, do you think you got to get a little bit meaner? And Worf said, you know, I consider myself a nice guy. My mom wants me to be a polite guy. I consider myself a nice guy. But uh, listen, yeah, accomplished player and his athleticism just off the charts. 
Yeah, I think a couple things here. One, he's the first Hawkeye to win Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year since Brandon Scherf in 2014. You mentioned Kirk Ferentz. He's been there since 99. And for Tristan Wirfs to be the first true freshman to start under him in a pro-style offense, when you think about the kind of guys and the kind of nastiness that Ferentz and the Iowa Hawkeye program likes to employ – I think that says a lot about Wirfs and his nastiness. And in terms of right tackle, left tackle, Dane Brugler of The Athletic told me this. He said, well, the only reason why Tristan Wirfs is playing the right side is because their left tackle cannot play on the right side of the line. So Wirfs has the flexibility to be able to do both. And when you just, even if you just watch his highlights on YouTube or just punch something and you can see how well he moves, which is why he's such an intriguing player. And I think that if any one of these four is on the board at 11 for the Jets, I don't think that they can go wrong. And I know some of the other names out there, whether it be tradeback options or potential tradeback options or the next tier, you think of guys like Houston's Josh Jones, who played in a lower level of competition than the guys that we've talked about. You think about USC's Austin Jackson. And then you even talk about somebody that played opposite of Andrew Thomas, potentially in round two. Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia, Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. But this tackle class is top-heavy, and there's a lot of talent here if the Jets want to beef up their offensive line on draft night. Yeah, and the chances are, I would say, good that there will be one or two there at 11. Now, I don't think all four are going to be there. I don't think that's possible. We just talked about the Giants. We talked about – Arizona, uh, Jacksonville, uh, Cleveland, um, and and some of their needs and, and where they are as franchises. But I don't think all four will be off the board at that point. And know this too, Joe Douglas is not going to go into draft weekend saying, I have to get this or I have to get that. He's not going to construct the roster like that. Um, you know, these guys, this is a top-heavy draft uh, tackle class. But I would say, too, Greens, there's a lot of people high on the depth in terms of rounds two and three, and you just mentioned a number of those ga- and names, including Josh Jones. And some of those players might not be day-one starters for you, but ultimately they might project as starters. And when you look at the Jets where they're at – Go back to last year, too. Now, this was before Joe Douglas came in as general manager, but the Jets took Chuma Doga out of USC in the third round. And again, maybe potentially he could take a leap for you in between years one and two. So a lot to play out before then. But, yeah, I don't remember uh, a tackle class like this in a while. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And it's funny that you mentioned – Obviously, it seems like right now all four of those guys won't be available for the Jets at 11. But, you know, with that being said, the receivers, we mentioned this yesterday, none of them might be taken by the cha- by the time that the Jets draft at 11. And we'll break down the draft between now and April 23rd when the first round is scheduled to go. Obviously, we'll monitor, but it seems like all things are pointing that the draft will remain April 23rd to April 25th. And that's all we have here on the official Jet podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. EA and I will be back next week. Many thanks to Olivia and Bard and EA. Have a great weekend and I'll catch up with you Monday. 
Yeah, sounds good. I guess Bob was choosing and Marty Lyons, the Jets radio team, going to take over on the pod tomorrow. So everybody at home, enjoy that one. <laughs>